Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us. Second hour underway. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network, live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Headed to the weekend. Withrow's headed to Louisville. We are, yeah. We're headed to uh, Duke Louisville uh, tomorrow. So uh, an interim head coach situation for the (laughs) Cardinals. That changed the outlook of this game. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I mean, it is. I thought Nebraska was playing there. It is. No. It is. (laughs) Nebraska is not playing much of anything this basketball season. Paul thought uh, that because you're driving, not because. Oh you're going no, 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 no! I no. thought that because you're leaving the state. Your and you're wife driving. is from Nebraska. <laughs> no, no. Um, remember, remember, Paul would would fly to Atlanta. He wouldn't drive to Atlanta. I'd prefer to fly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you're making a joke about Angie's love of Duke. She doesn't really like Duke anymore. Because I mean, I they're, think, not, they're not winning. I think, the same I think she's given it Farewell. up. Like she's just. Yeah, she I like Coach him. K. I liked him because my brother watched their games and liked them, and now I just don't care. She doesn't really know anyone on the team now. Well, she doesn't know anything. Basketball, like Coach K is retiring. I mean, yeah. Just doesn't really. Just She's doesn't. represent. She is America. She is uh, all <laughs> Nebraska She's every recruit football. Girl. <laughs> I think she just has like the bandwidth for just Nebraska football now. There's just not enough I mean, room for anything truly, else. Let's get her on the phone. She's representative of America and, and sports interests. Yeah, she just she's all Nebraska football all the time. One, well, uh, but by the way, Louisville, the situation there, wide open. Mm-hmm. No president, no AD, no coach, no classes. They're just very few buildings be, for classes. It Not be, convinced it's actually a school. Just a wide open up it in would, Louisville. It's the perfect scenario for Lane Kiffin, is what that is. Wide open university. Well, and also, everyone is reporting that Bruce Pearl is taking that job. Really. Yes. That he wants out at Auburn. They have not given him the commitment of whatever he wants. I think it's a it's a basketball only practice facility uh, that's been an issue there. Um, and look, I'll say this: that's dumb by Auburn. you're not going to do much better than getting Auburn their first ever number one ranking, which they're number one in the country right now. They should be a Final Four team this year. He's been there once before at Auburn. I can understand that. Hey, I've been here for a while. Probably not going to do much better at Auburn. Let's go to the next challenge. Louisville is a basketball-first school, as Dan Dockage told us. He hasn't been at a basketball-first school since he was at Wisconsin-Milwaukee. So I, I, something to watch is Bruce Pearl to Louisville. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll get the update from everyone in Louisville tomorrow, and I'll come it's back the, and let you guys know if he's going to be the, the coach. It's the rare contract negotiation in the middle of the season. Yeah. It's the rare. It's also that. Yes. It, it's, the, it's the opportunity to use this as leverage to get what you want. He, he is going to either get everything he wants at Auburn for himself and his program, or he's going to bolt for Louisville. Could it still be better at Louisville? Could it still be better at Louisville? Uh, get everything you want at Auburn or go to Louisville. Louis- I mean, it's still fo- uh, basketball first. Louisville's a better job yeah. by far. Yes. Uh, it'd be better at Louisville either way. I mean, he might want to stay at Auburn because he wants to stay at Auburn. Bruce Pearl's so good, though. Any I would, job you'd he go goes to Louisville to, regardless. Any job he goes to is going to crank it up to another level. But at Louisville, at Louisville, it's already Louisville set up Louisville is you. a top 20 college basketball job on everyone's list, and it's probably even top 15. 
Auburn is a top 20 basketball job on no one's list. Right. To put that into perspective. Is it a top, uh, is it a top 25 basketball job when Bruce Pearl has it? Bruce Pearl anywhere <laughs> it makes it a top 25 yeah. program. So they, that put him, put him in. He's I mean, proven he can go anywhere. Away. Right now, I would place a bet on them winning the whole thing. I mean, with the way he's got that team playing. Let's see what kind of odds we get on that right now. Um, how about some odds on some props for role players this weekend? I'm, I don't know if we can even get a couple of these guys uh, that I'm going to bring up. And it, my, mine are for San Francisco, and we're going to get to Cincy in a moment. But for San Fran, first is Juszczyk, uh, the fullback and how they use him in their pass game and run game. I'm intrigued to see what they do with him in the red zone. But, guys, I w- I'm thinking about, okay, so in week one we saw the defensive effort that San Francisco had against the uh, Rams, that, not week one, in game one. Uh, and then in, in the final week of the season, we see Debo Samuel and, and a couple wrinkles thrown in on how they're manufacturing points and how they're winning and coming back from 17 down. How about the the storyline playing out? Hypothetical, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on the show because I could see them working him in. Trey Lance being used here, especially in the red zone for for San Fran. When the season was first starting, they were using him in spurts. You know, he'd come in and throw a couple passes. I remember discussing this on the show, like Garoppolo, there's no rhyme or rhythm to it. But I I I, I wonder if they may throw Lance out there a bit in place of Garoppolo for some certain passing situations. And I wouldn't put it past Kyle Shanahan. If things, if you use Lance and things are going well, it's not exactly the same scenario, but it would remind me of Tua coming in for Jalen Hurts and winning a national title. And then you hand the reins over to your next quarterback. Or... 2006 Florida Gators where Tim Tebow would come in sporadically for Chris Leak and they won a national title doing that. And as the season went on, you saw more and more Tim Tebow to change things up. Hutton, I had this passing thought this week out of nowhere where I just had this, my imagination started stirring and I thought, what if Kyle Shanahan just starts Trey Lance? No announcement, nothing else. They go out there and they just start the rookie. And they do something I mean, totally different than what they've done with Jimmy Garoppolo out of nowhere. It's not going to happen, but imagine if that was the plan going into this week. Well, I could see it being a similar version, a better version, uh, maybe a couple more options and, and, and uh, reps than what we may have seen throughout the year with Vegas, where they have Carr and then they run Mariota in on the, on the third snap of the game when they face third and four, and it's a design run for Marcus, and he got the first down, and then they put Carr back in. But in this case, I think more of a passing situation where you use Lance to his best abilities, knowing what Jimmy G can and can't bring you on a consistent basis. I think this is the week to work it in because that's the wrinkle they haven't used against that Rams defense. Vegas might have done it more this year. Mariota, of course, got hurt the, uh, on, on one of the oh, that's first. Right. Yeah. Maybe the first. Pretty early on his year. hip. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it'd be pretty interesting, and you were talking earlier about having kind of emptied the barrel on the on the wrinkles um, in, in two games against the Rams and, uh, and and throughout the season up till now. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to see it. I'm, I'm I'm also intrigued to watch the matchup that they that the Rams use on Debo Samuel because 
in in week 18 and watching that game, the Rams decided to, for the most part, not every play, but for the most part, they had Jalen Ramsey shadow Debo Samuel, especially on certain situations. But when that would happen, Garoppolo would motion Debo Samuel wherever he was outside the numbers, and they would essentially move Jalen Ramsey Away from the play. Because they like him in the middle of the field. Yeah, and that, so they would motion Debo outside, and that would remove Jalen Ramsey altogether from the play. And then you would have Ayuk, Kittle, um, and you could use uh, other options to uh, – Juwan Jennings comes to mind. Over the middle, and you've basically got two one-on-ones on two straight go routes. You know, you've got the nine routes going, and you've got them matched up against backup safeties. So – how, how do the Rams combat that? And if they choose not to use Ramsey on Debo Samuel, the ball's going to him. So that, that's the wrinkle that we'll see both head coaches who know each other very well, how they'll adjust. But Shanahan's always had the answer recently. It really is remarkable that this uh, matchup has gone so far. I, I can't think of another situation where matchup's gone so far in one direction and the favorite has, and the talk has been so much in the other direction. It, it's, it seems bizarre. Chad, did- I, I wonder if uh, just looking at you know X factors, uh, sleepers in this in this game in the matchup. Um, Tyler Higby for the Rams is someone who who pops to mind for me. The former Western yep. Kentucky, the Western Kentucky product. Do they get the tight end who is a good pass catcher more involved in the offense, especially if they're without Van Jefferson? Have to, and they they've been doing that between the twenties. He's got three touchdowns in the two games, Higby. So he's, he's been he's a been explosive. He could he could games. be even bigger uh, in this game. How many times did you see Juwan Jennings throw a pass at Tennessee? Uh, he did it a, a number of times. They had a they had a package for Juwan Jennings where he would uh, play quarterback. Usually it was him running off tackle, but occasionally he'd sort of fake right and throw it to someone. You might I, see that again, you're saying. I would work that in. Yep. I would do something, because they did it with Debo Samuel, and Shanahan's not afraid to throw these reps in there. And neither's... Uh, so, uh, the the, uh, the other role guy is their run game coordinator, Mike McDaniel, who no one knows much about. Um, if you saw him at a press conference, you would think it's an SNL skit about the next wave of NFL coaches. Or an, yeah, or an analytics guy from upstairs. I mean, yeah, but he looks like a college kid. Very he's 37, 38 years old. He's been with Kyle Shanahan literally everywhere. He went to Yale, and the way he – I mean, he's he's a comedian. I mean, he's he's hilarious. Very funny. He's, he, he's himself in front of the mic. You know, he stands – he's like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, he gets to the podium. He's like, all right, um, you know – the, your time, uh, the time is yours. You know, he'll say something like Andy Reid would do, and then he jumps in with some funny bit or uh, a, a joke. Uh, again, I, it almost comes across as a parody, but he is in charge of the 49ers run game. He's the run game coordinator, and he gets a lot of the benefit and a lot of the credit from Shanahan and from the players. If you go listen to Brandon Ayuk, Juwan Jennings, Debo Samuel, they're raving about this guy. But if you saw him and you heard him at a press conference, you'd be like, this guy just interviewed for the Miami Dolphins? This is the guy? This, this kid? I, I would love the chance to sit down with him and chat with him. Here's another thing to, uh, to consider about Jimmy G and, and maybe the Trey Lance notion. Um, and that maybe it's been underplayed. I mean, Jimmy G's been bad. The shoulder we hadn't talked about. 
here are the numbers since he suffered the shoulder injury in the wild card round. So it's been six plus quarters since then. 47 percent, 170 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, four sacks. This is on 34 dropbacks. That's awful. But, I mean, the line of demarcation there is the shoulder, which nobody's really been talking about. I don't know why he does this, but the the one detriment of Jimmy Garoppolo is he refuses to throw the football away. Hey, he's, he's the opposite of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz will just chuck it out of bounds on third down and three. You know, Garoppolo's forcing the issue no matter what's going on. And that's the big issue with all of it is – you know, is he's going to force the issue and turn the football over a bit. Yeah. Meanwhile, role players for, for Casey, I mentioned Pringle last week. I'd stick with that because he's got the hot hand. Um, Jared Hardman. McKinnon, Hardman. Uh, and for Cincy, I I still uh, point to, you know, some of the, the running back options and, and Joe Mixon, who hasn't done all that much. He's averaged less than four yards per carry over the last, like, five or six games total. But he started the season running it very well. I'm looking at Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Um, uh, he's been he, he was out three games. Jarek McKinnon, you know, got the majority of carries and mm-hmm. even looks in the passing game after that. One catch for nine yards this last week. McKinnon was not not very good uh, against Buffalo. Not very efficient. Two point four yards per carry. I, I think Clyde Edwards-Helaire elevates a bit in this game and it is an X factor especially in the pass game more than the run I've not seen him elevate very often so it'd be a real holiday if he did here's the thing about Mixon in this game as a passing option only three NFL defenses have allowed more running back receiving yards than Kansas City Uh, and I can't read my writing for what that number is only one has allowed more running back receiving yards 52.2 yards a game allowed to running backs by the Chiefs. You've talked a lot about Mixon's presence. It might be in the passing game. Yeah, but like, so they're facing Austin Eckler twice a year. Let's go through the yeah, backs out of the. Good. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, I mean uh, that stands out. The the Bengals also, by the way, allow the most yards to tight ends in the AFC. So there's, there's room there, Kelsey. But they shut Kelsey to, down. To figure out how to manipulate in their previous matchup. Here's here's Mixon's stats. Over the last two months, um, he's got 30 – in the playoffs, excuse me, he has 31 carries for 102 total yards. That's well under four yards per carry. Last seven games, he's averaging just 3.3 yards per carry, and he doesn't have a, a run longer than 19 yards. Look, this coincides with them taking off, though. We talked a lot about the offense running through Burrow instead of mixing. And so this hasn't been a bad thing. His numbers went down when they took off. Yeah, but in the postseason, their offensive numbers have been down. Well, it's a game-by-game situation once you're in the postseason, and they've found ways to win those two games. So I'm not going to say, darn, Burrow's numbers weren't good enough. I'm going to say, hey, they found ways to win both those games. One of them, he's getting sacked nine times. Coming up, we'll discuss these matchups with Bobby Carpenter. We'll get into the AFC and NFC championship games. And then also, his take on how good are the, 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 the coaching options that remain open like the New Orleans Saints. How good is that job right now? We'll discuss Byron Leftwich and Trent Baalke and the dispute going on in Jacksonville, that and much more. And then, of course, his guy, Matthew Stafford, with the chance to have a career-defining performance on his way 
to his first Super Bowl appearance. Bobby Carpenter next on Outkick 360. You can always check out the Outkick channel on YouTube, Outkick 360 as well, and that is where you can find Bobby Carpenter, outkick.com, college football contributor. We will discuss uh, some NFL headlines and college football discussions with him in a moment. I thought he was there. Um, Until then, we chat about some of the NFL coachings uh, and and some of the, the rumors going around and some of the things that were reported that just haven't happened. And that starts with Byron Lefwich in Jacksonville. There was a report out of Arizona by one of the um, the beat reporters for the paper um, in Phoenix that Adrian Wilson, the former uh, Cardinal safety, was teaming up with Byron Lefwich and he was going to take the general manager job in Jacksonville. That's the guy who Byron Lefwich wants to work with. He does not want to work with Trent Baalke. Nor well, should he want to work with Trent, Trent Baalke. Yeah, and and so uh, no one wants to. No, because um, they're smart. Unless you're Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer had all the power. Um, so that was reported yesterday, and I, I guess they would grant access to chat with Adrian Wilson. The problem is Jacksonville hasn't talked to him yet, per Ian Rappaport. So if they haven't chatted with him yet, that means they haven't hired Byron Lefwich or they, they haven't fired Trent Baalke. So one of those things ha- has to happen in order for Adrian Wilson and Byron Lefwich to team up in Jacksonville. As you I don't said know what they're waiting on. Earlier off the air, this smacks a little bit of the Mike Mayock thing where word of interview uh, word of an interview with a GM candidate came out before word that Mike Mayock was out. Yes. And this is bad form. It was bad form there. It's bad form here. No matter how much people don't like Trent Baalke, he shouldn't be interviewing for his job before he's relieved of his job. So Agreed. they've got to sort this out and get moving. Yeah, I, I like the, the Byron Leftwich move. Yes. I, I love the move to get Trent Baalke out in Jacksonville. It's very weird that all the momentum and reports were headed towards Leftwich, Wilson, or at least Leftwich with Baalke out, and now it's silence. The, so the timing of it is off. Just doesn't feel right. Whatever's going on with that that whole situation. Well, and then if you don't end up with Byron Leftwich, the the guy that they wanted to interview again was Nathaniel Hackett, and he was hired by Denver. They just interviewed Vic Fangio. Can you imagine like the clown show? And this is nothing against Vic Fangio. This is all about to me. This is all about Trevor Lawrence. Can you imagine the fan base and Trevor Lawrence? who learns that Vic Fangio is pairing up with Trent Baalke. They work together in San Francisco. Pairing up with Trent Baalke to run the rest of the rookie contract with Trevor Lawrence. Because that's basically what you're giving Fangio. You're giving Fangio the rest of Lawrence's rookie contract to get it going. Well, so we just had a situation where uh, John Merrill was saying, hey, we've done everything possible to ruin Daniel Jones. Two different systems, the coaching that's gone on, the lack of protection. Um, this would be Jacksonville trying to do the exact same thing. <laughs> well, now let's continue to try to ruin Trevor Lawrence. Year one under Urban Meyer and a dysfunctional mess of an organization. Then go and hire Vic Fangio, not exactly known for cultivating quarterbacks in his time in Denver. 
and then pair him with the same GM that was there with Urban Meyer it would make no sense. Look, I'm a believer at this stage, especially after when you're going on to coach number two, get an offensive guy for, for Trevor Lawrence because uh, you're at risk. Again, we've hit on this before. You're at risk of a defensive guy losing his offensive coordinator if he has success in year one or year two with Trevor Lawrence. Um, you, you can't have – that promotes this constant change thing, It'd Chad, make, that you're like, talking about. Nathaniel Hackett or Leftwich would make sense there, Yeah. right? Yes, and so – And I they've talk, been there before. I talked yesterday about the serve and volley of offense to defensive coach, right? Matt Nagy, offensive guy, he's out. They hire Matt Aberflus in, in Chicago. Priority number one, and Eberflus could still get this right, but find someone to coach Justin Fields. That should be priority number and, one. And also, for Fangio to find a coordinator, the coordinator is going to be less good than the head coach candidate, a promoted coordinator is going to be. I would so think so. So Lefwich is, and, and Hackett, presumably, are better offensive coaches than the guy you're going to get at the next level. Unless then. you're getting like a retread guy. You know, like a Adam Gase. You know, like some like I'm just trying to yeah, think. Yeah, who's of a, a permanent coordinator now? Who's right. never going to be a head coach? Bobby Carpenter joins us now from Columbus, and uh, you can of course read and watch his work at Outkick.com. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. Oh, gentlemen, it's Friday. You've got Championship Sunday coming up. I mean, really, yep. what's better than this? Well, I mean, plus you got all the coaching rumors and chaos that's going on, coaching hires that are finally happening across the league. We were just discussing right before you joined us what Trevor Lawrence must be thinking and, and why Jacksonville's taking their time with this. You know, they interviewed Vic Fangio yesterday or the day before. Reports are they want Leftwich, but Leftwich wants his own GM. Who could blame him because he doesn't want to work with Balky? No one does. Your take on what's going on with the Jags. And so... That's a very interesting situation down there. And you go back all the way to when Urban Meyer was hired last year. They brought Trent Baalke and he kind of weaseled his way into the program, into the organization, got close to the owner, convinced that he, hey, he was part of the solution. You know, they wanted someone with analytics. So, hey, he's an analytics guy now and he can help solve those problems. And they should have probably parted ways with him at that point in time. You know, and they decided to keep him and have him work with Urban. And then somehow, you know, he became part of this solution as opposed to part of the problem. And they obviously move on from Urban Meyer. And I think justifiably so with everything that had happened. But the next coach that was coming in, if the guy was familiar with the league, if the guy had options, he wasn't going to sit there and take this guy. If there's one thing that Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer could probably sit down and have a drink about, it's Trent Baalke. And you saw what happened with him out in San Francisco. And now it's happening in Carolina or in Jacksonville. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this. And the worst thing you can be called in a highly competitive team environment is someone referred to you as a chameleon, someone who you're going to shift, you know, with, with the swaying of the wind. And that's a little bit what Trent Baalke is. And, you know, he, he's found a way to kind of always survive. And Byron Leftwich gets this. He doesn't want somebody that's going to come in there and be on his side until it's opportunistic not to be anymore. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you turn around, and you find a knife in your back because the guy's poisoning the well, you know, with the owner. And so that he understands that Byron left, which hey, guy played in the league. He's going to be a hot commodity as a coach. People know his offensive prowess. He's not hard up for cash. It's better sometimes to not take the job and just stay where you're at than opposed to taking a bad job 
with a guy that you don't trust. And so they should have moved on from him when they made all the staff changes with Urban. They didn't. And now they're behind in the GM hiring, and they're going to start to find that any of the real viable candidates that they want, it's not that they want their own guy. They just really don't want to work with him. And so I think that that's where they're at ultimately in Jacksonville. And I don't blame Leftwich one iota. He's the preferred candidate, and he's going to push hard to make sure that his first head coaching opportunity in a place where he played is a good one. Bobby, earlier this week we had this exercise about who had the most to gain or lose with championship weekend, uh, coach or player. My answer was Matthew Stafford. He's proven a lot, and he proved a lot last week. This is your former teammate. How big is this moment now for Matthew Stafford to get this team to the Super Bowl, not just for his team, but for him and his own legacy as well? So you know, what's interesting is you look at all the different quarterbacks you know, in the uh, championship Sunday. You look at the AFC. You've got you know, Pat Mahomes. You know, his dad's an NFL or an NBA, MLB star. He plays at Texas Tech, which, you know, it's not Texas. It's not Oklahoma. You know, drafting the first round sits for a year. You've got Joe Burrow that kind of meandered his way to LSU through Ohio State. Wasn't a super highly recruited player either. And then ultimately wins a Heisman Trophy, number one overall pick. And so, you know, he's on a great trajectory. you got Jimmy Garoppolo, Eastern Illinois kid, not highly recruited. You know, drafted, you know, pretty high to New England, but not a first rounder. Ultimately ends up in San Francisco on a nice deal. Took them to the Super Bowl already. All those guys, you know, none of them had massive expectations out of high school. Matt Stafford's been that dude. He's been that guy his whole life. Top-rated guy out of Highland Park. Number one draft pick out of Georgia. Is in Detroit for 12 years. Does some great things. Sets tons of records. And I'm going to tell you this. Anybody that played with him or played against him understands how talented he is. Understands what he's capable of doing. And so for him... This is this is a gold jacket opportunity. If he gets to a Super Bowl, it's going to help his legacy. If he ultimately wins the Super Bowl during this run, you know, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. He's going to have years after this, but you have no idea if you're ever if you'll ever get back to this situation again. So for Matt Stafford, like this is a career and legacy changing opportunity. Not just this weekend, but if he ultimately wins a couple of weeks from now, a chance to win a Super Bowl with the numbers he has, and then all of a sudden you put that Super Bowl ring on your legacy as well, it kind of checks all the boxes. So I'm really happy for him to be here. You look at how he played. He didn't blink against Tom Brady last weekend at the end of the game. I mean, my goodness, I can't even imagine what it feels like. And there's really, fellas, there's really one other guy in the world who could experience what Matt Stafford feel, felt like. And that's Matt Ryan. You could probably call him up from the Super Bowl a handful of years back and said, what's it like to basically give up a three-score lead in the second half? Matt Stafford didn't blink and made the plays when he needed to. And if you can kind of complete this thing with a Super Bowl run, man, it'll do wonders for his legacy. And it'll really confirm to the rest of the world, gentlemen, what a lot of guys who played with him and played against him already knew. Well, let's flip it to the other game. What's Joe Burrow's moment and legacy like with a win in year number two and really in his well, year and a half of playing because of the, with the ACL? Uh, number one overall pick has the, has the chance to become the first number one overall pick at quarterback to go to a Super Bowl within his first two years. I mean, that's putting a stamp on exactly where you fit into the hierarchy right now among quarterbacks in the AFC, which is stacked. You look at the young guys we talked about. Josh Allen, you saw him play great. Pat Mahomes, he's played great. 
Justin Herbert's played great. You got Lamar Jackson. Some of these guys have MVPs. They've got Super Bowl appearances. They've got Super Bowl trophies. This is a chance for Joe Burrow, you know, whose numbers are great. If he doesn't make it, it's not the end of the world. But to do so so early on, I mean, you're talking about you know guys like Dan Marino, people like that getting there early on in their career, Tom Brady, and being able to get there meant you know potentially ultimately being able to win one. You know, Cincinnati. When you're the number one overall pick, there's a reason why no number one overall pick, you know, those guys don't get there in their first couple of years because their teams are so bad, gentlemen. The Cincinnati Bengals were awful. They were a laughing stock. And now two years later, they have a chance to, you know, four quarters away from going to a Super Bowl. And so what this could do for Joe early on, you know, put him on that trajectory where you look at this thing like the world could be his oyster, you know, for the next six to 10 years. Not that there's not going to be great competition, in the AFC, because there's other great quarterbacks and other guys out there, but to get a win and a win against Pat Mahomes, the guy that we hold basically now is the gold standard for young quarterbacks. I think that would be a massive, massive boost to his confidence, to his team, and how we ultimately talk about him. Let's flip to the Big Ten for a second. Uh, you're enthusiastic about this idea, potentially an eight-game uh, conference schedule where you play three rivals and then you uh, have a, a rotating schedule with uh, with everybody else. I, I'm curious about the three rival thing because for some teams that's easily done and for other teams, inevitably, it's not easily done. How do you see that ultimately getting sorted out if they go that direction? So let me ask you gentlemen this as you, you sit there in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, how many – how many conference games does the SEC play? Eight. They play eight. Yep. All right. People were lamenting. They should play nine. They should play nine. You can complain about it all you want. All of a sudden, the Big Ten, like, hey, let's let's just get wise and we're going to do what they're doing. And this is probably going to be the smartest thing for us. And we'll go back to eight and we'll open up the divisions, which the Big Ten East has been, you know, just heavily weighted because Nebraska really hasn't been what they were supposed to outside of Wisconsin and Iowa. You know, there's not any kind of traditional powers. Northwestern kind of makes a run every now and then. So you open the divisions up. So you're going to get the two best teams in there. And to me, I think that this is something where they're finally ahead of the curve a little bit, where you start looking as the playoffs are going to inevitably expand. At some point, they will. And they're most likely going to go to 12 because I think that that's the only way the SEC is going to get on board with it. And so by doing that, drop into eight games, it eliminates, you know, another game to cannibalize yourselves. You're going to be able to still get, you know, some elite matchups there. And then you're getting your two best teams playing together at the end of the year. And regardless of division, and, you know, as any conference, any will tell you, you sit there and look at it, there's years where there's going to be ebbs and flows. And it's nice down in the SEC because Georgia's risen out of the East and they've been good. But if you think about some of the years where, you know, it's been the SEC West has been so strong, you get to the championship game, and it's already a foregone conclusion. And so this will help eliminate that. I like what they're doing. I think it's very, very proactive. For the first time in a long time, you know, it seems like the Big Ten's finally looking around and saying, hey, SEC does this. We like that. You know, the Big 12, with how they do it to get their two best teams in there, we like that. And so one loss doesn't cripple you if it's to the wrong guy, wrong team, and it's there in your division. And so I think that this will do something that will help elevate the conference, put them, you know, in a in a better situation and maybe a little bit of a step closer to the SEC with how they're structured. 
Bobby, I understand why the city of Los Angeles has a team. They have two teams, in fact, because of the size of the city. But I have to admit, I don't think I've ever actually met a, a Rams fan live in the wild. And I don't know if Rams <laughs> fans actually exist. Um, you see the ticket situation that where it seemed like a 49ers home game when they played at the end of the regular season and all this talk about a 49ers fan takeover for the NFC Championship game. What do you think when you see that story with Rams fans in Los Angeles? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And you talk about this, like the you know, big rivalries, I guess, or whatever, but the proximity of the two teams, and I understand, you know, you look at San Francisco, you know, they've been compelling in the NFL for the last 40 years. Yeah, at the end of the 2000s, there was a blip, but you know, they had Montana, they had Young, they had Garcia, then they struggled, but they've been to two more Super Bowls here recently. They just haven't won them. So they've been very, very relevant. You know, the Rams just got back to LA. And, you know, unfortunately, they've, they've been to a Super Bowl and nobody still cares. Nobody cares about the Chargers. And you've got Kelly Stafford out there, Matt Stafford's wife. You know, she's buying up tickets and just offering to give them out and <laughs> buying a considerable amount to do this. And your team is in the in the championship game. And, and gentlemen, just think about this like, and bring it close to home to the standpoint where, like, you know, imagine I'm trying to even put it in perspective, like, you know, big rivalry game. You know, last game of the season, you know, you've got Auburn, Alabama, or, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, or heck, even you know Tennessee and Indianapolis playing, and your opposition is buying up, you know, potentially forty-five to fifty-five, maybe even over sixty to seventy percent of the seats. Like, it's absolutely mind-blowing when you're in the second biggest market in the country and you've got a great product out there, and it's been a great product ever since they came back. It's not like it's ever been bad. They have great players. They have a beautiful stadium. They have a great head coach. They're entertaining as heck on offense. They've got OBJ, who's a star. They brought in Von Miller. They have done everything that you've asked them to do. And I, we, we always joke, like, people in Southern California don't care about football. Like, there's a lot of other things to do. It's like, well, maybe they're just not – they haven't seen good football in a while. Well, there's getting to see great football, folks. And they're still not showing up to go watch it in one of the best stadiums in the world, if not the best. It, it doesn't even make sense. And I begin to wonder, like, yes, Dan Kroenke moved him back, and it's a great venue. And you know what? It's it's all well and good. They're going to concerts there and Super Bowls. But, like, does LA, LA really even deserve a professional football team at this point? How do you get two? Yeah, the, try being the Chargers. The Rams at least get some people to show up. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the, the answer is no to your question. I mean, the fans don't deserve the city. We all know they understand the media part of it and why they have two teams. But no, I, I don't I'm not throwing a party for Rams fans, you know, of all these years of frustration because I don't know any Rams fans. They're not showing up at all. So I'm, I'm with you on that one, Bobby. Hey, how, how good of a job is the Saints opening with the way Sean Payton is leaving it? You know, it's it's interesting. I always I like my five criteria that I always kind of look at quarterback, roster, organization, city, and division. And it's amazing because they check every box at a really high level. Their roster's great. Now their cap situation isn't good. Like th there's an there's an issue with that. But I mean the roster outside of their quarterback was good enough to get them, you know, right in the playoff hunt late in the year. You know, the organization, I think, is pretty sound. Mickey Loomis does a good job if they keep Jeff Ireland in the front office. He's done a great job as their player personnel director, you know, and really helping select the right players 
and and curate talent for that team. You know, the city, they support them. They show up. It's not the biggest city in the world. New Orleans, obviously, there's some issues with it, but it's still, it's a great place. The division, Tom Brady's leaving. Matt Ryan is eventually going to retire. Carolina's still working in progress. They just don't have a quarterback. And so, you know, Sean Payton's getting out of there. If they could find a way to solve the quarterback problem, as you heard, you know, Cam Jordan's joking about, hey, see if we can get Aaron Rodgers to come down here, bring Devontae Adams. Like it'd be great. They just can't afford any of those guys. And so it, it's it's really like it's a hollowed out shell. It's got everything you need except for that main ingredient, which is the quarterback. And they tried it, you know, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston. I, I just don't think there's a viable solution out there. And it's it's really sad when you watch these really talented rosters in pretty good organizations just kind of rot because they can't get that thing that that problem solved. Then they were gonna also see how just how much of an offensive genius Sean Payton was when you pull him out of there. Yeah, they've got some really great players. They've got talented wide receiver, a lot of elite talent at running back with Kamara. But without Sean Payton, who's the guy who is the ultimate chef, who is the the designer of this whole feast, you pull him out of it. And I think you've got some nice ingredients, but it's just not going to blend the same way. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at bcarp. Three, Bobby, thank you as always. Enjoy the championship Sunday weekend, and uh, we'll be previewing Super Bowl 56 with you next week. Yes, sir. You guys enjoy it, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks. One of the best right there. Bobby Carpenter, Outkick.com, who joins us weekly each and every Friday, um, hitting a lot of different headlines there. We continue to do that next. Josh McDaniels in the news with Vegas. He's uh, reportedly flying to Vegas now. We'll meet uh, at length with ownership uh, with Davis tomorrow. And then it's presumed that if the GM's coming with him, they're a package deal and he's got his staff ready to go. We'll, we'll discuss the options of what it means for the Raiders right now and the splash that it would create after the whole Gruden fiasco, Satya is out, and they end up getting the, the coach that over the last couple of seasons a lot of people wanted but no one could get him to get out of Foxborough to even interview. We discuss Josh McDaniel's future next on Outkick 360. Mentioned earlier in the week that Josh McDaniel's, at least the rumors were swirling, he was putting a staff together behind the scenes. Well, uh, Ziegler, one of the, um, well, the de facto general manager, it's, it's, um, it's Belichick in New England, but it's Ziegler who's kind of his right-hand man as well in the front office. They have uh, already interviewed him out in Vegas with the Raiders, and the thought was that McDaniels would be a package deal with him. Well, McDaniels is one of the, if not one of, he's the leading candidate now for the Raiders' head coaching position, and reports are he is flying to Vegas tonight or right now, and he will interview with Mark Davis at length all day Saturday. It's finally here, like we started the week by saying, if not now, when? There were nine openings whenever we got this week going. And Josh McDaniels has, you know, he, he left the Colts at the altar and went back to Foxborough. We've seen other jobs open up over the recent years, everything from uh, Houston to Miami, uh, Jacksonville. I mean, there, there have been a number of openings with high draft picks and quarterback positions, and he's turned them down. But here's El, here, here's Vegas and the Raiders, and going into the final year, I believe, of Derek Carr's contract. Um, 
I'm intrigued by this because they have some offensive pieces and they have a quarterback that can sling it. I think the answer is, if not now, when, it would be never uh, for Josh well, McDaniels. This the, is the perfect. The Patriots. Yeah, unless it's being Bill Belichick's success, you're right. But this is a great opportunity uh, for any coach out there. But it's, it's even more intriguing with Josh McDaniels coming back to the AFC West where he was previous head coach at, with Denver and the situation now moving forward with Derek Carr, uh, Hutton, as you just mentioned, you know, what to do with him long-term. I think it's a, I don't hate it for Vegas and for a head coach. You've got, you've got the quarterback. It's a very similar situation to what Vrabel inherited here. I mean, you've got, uh, you have a quarterback on a final year where you're making a decision. You can go sign someone and be a bridge or you can draft someone high. They've got options there. Still only two officially filled, right? Chicago and Denver? Yes. So, seven left. Maybe this one gets filled. If, if I'm not done yet, I would bring in Basachi to, to look at, at least. I, I mean, I thought the guy did a pretty good job uh, and showed his stripes. I heard uh, somebody, maybe Pittsburgh... Somebody with a, a special teams coaching job open is front oh, it's, um, it's Chicago. Chicago. The Bears. Yeah. So Eberflus would like to get Basaccia on his staff. Um, but I'm disappointed for him if he doesn't at least get, get a look. Um, and uh, I don't well, know he why, got a look. why he wouldn't get a look. No, now, though, from somebody oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. based on what he just did with the, with the Raiders to get a look for one of these seven open positions – and I would think that somebody less than him is going to wind up with one of these jobs. He's he's sixty one, which probably doesn't help him that High much. But he 61. did a great job. Yeah, I mean, he, there's no doubt about it. He did a really good job. Also, speaking of Bears and coaching openings, they have their head coach, but new GM Ryan Poles. This report from David Kaplan is interviewing Pep Hamilton uh, to be the offensive coordinator, to be the groomer of Justin Fields now moving forward. In Chicago, he was the passing game coordinator with the Texans this past season. Well, they've also uh, they've also talked with um, um, Getze, the uh, quarterback coach and passing game coordinator in Green Bay, and they have also um, I wrote his name down, Kevin Petula or Petulo, excuse me. He was here for a year in Nashville. Um, he's the passing game coordinator in Philly. They've chatted with both of them as well. Petulo and Gannon were here. At, at the same time, on a staff that wasn't very highly sought of, they were very low-ranking guys starting out. Um, and, and that's the, a big hire, offensive coordinator in Chicago, obviously, and the, the defensive head coach for Justin Fields. And going back to Vegas, why McDaniels would also be intrigued by that job is that is among, immediately, the highest-paid coaching spots in the NFL. You're getting college money. You're getting top college money to go coach in the NFL. The highest-paid coach is Bill Belichick. Um, number two is Pete Carroll. He makes around $11 million a year. And you had Gruden at $10 million. Right behind him was Sean Payton. And then Matt Rule, of all coaches. And McDaniels can immediately get paid. And it, it, keep in mind, I didn't mention any of those other jobs other than New Orleans, and they're not going to pay that type of salary right now that's paying that upper echelon, top-tier piece of the pie. Mark Davis will. So if you're trying to lure your coach out of whatever he's doing, you flash $10 million at him plus, and here he comes. Took a lot of money to, to get Matt Rule out of college. What he was Seven making at average, Baylor I think. to go to the Panthers. I'd be curious 
yes, Vegas and Mark Davis willing to pay a lot of money. How much money are they willing to pay Josh McDaniels right. as opposed to, to John Gruden? And they, they haven't settled John Gruden yet. They, yeah. They've got to come to some terms there where they get off the hook for some of He's that not flying out there unless he knows. He's not flying scheduled. We'll say that. He's not flying scheduled. He's on a private jet heading out there. I don't That's think he's sure. getting 10 a year either. He will be, I think, top five paid if they hire him. If, they, if, he, if he doesn't want to leave on Saturday, pay the man his money. Outkick 360 rolls on.